This is very personal work for me. Politics. Politics. I believe I was called to Set. tell my story, use my voice, be a Gay. voice for the community, to speak Gay. to Gay. and for a community of people Gay. that's been ignored, denied, love, love, relationships. relationships, religion. This is my life's work. Religion, religion. I want to use words to uplift, heal, inspire, encourage. Do something different. Something different. Every Monday at 10. So I'm sitting here with my mom's friend, Juliet. You can slide over. I don't bite unless, you know, I unless want to. <laughs> unless you're a nice looking young man. Yeah. But um, I'm sitting here with my... <laughs> I'm sitting here with my, my mom's friend, Juliet, and the purpose of this conversation is to shine light on those of you that are raising your grandchildren or raising someone else's kids in particular. So I'm going to call this podcast Someone Else's Child. And several years ago, many, many years ago, I wrote a stage play called Someone Else's Child. I've never produced it, but it's called Someone Else's Child, and the show is based loosely on my family, and so it's based on like... Um, my mom and two of my aunts because my mom raised my sister's kids because my sister was on drugs for years. Uh, one of my other, one of my aunts, she raised, uh, kind of raised her granddaughter because her daughter had a mental breakdown, had suffered from mental illness. Um, and then my third aunt or second aunt that I wrote about in the, in this show, um, raised her granddaughter partially because her daughter was like really young when she had her. Right. But in your case, you're raising your son's daughter? Son. Your son's? Son. Your son's son. Okay. Yes. And, but you're also raising, you told me the other day you were raising- My niece. Your niece. Okay. But before we get into the niece part, I want to talk about um, you raising your grandson. And I thought it was important to have this conversation because there are a lot of people that are raising, in particular, grandmothers that are raising their grandkids and- the purpose of the stage play that I wrote is to beg the question why so few parents are parenting and why so many grandparents had to step into the role of provider, especially those of you that are nearing like retirement and like you're getting to that point where you've already raised your kids. You right. should, you're at the winter of your life where you should be able to travel and do all of those things that you want to do. And your income is probably fixed. But now you're buying Pampers in some cases, or you're paying for Head Start or daycare, and you're helping somebody with homework. And, yes. and there aren't really a lot of resources, government resources or state resources, right. that can assist you. Because I know in, in the case of my mom, they would always say, like, she couldn't get WIC. What does WIC stand for? It's like women, well, infants, women, and children. Women, I did get WIC. Well, I mean. You had to keep running down. Right, she had to keep going down there. That's her in the background. You missed, it was cut <laughs> off, and after a while. Right. Like, but, you couldn't, but she could never get, like, food stamps, or you could never get cash, because right. food stamps and WIC only help but for so much. It only helps with food. But, like, when my nephew was in, like, uh, Pampers, like, you can't buy Pampers with that. Um, you can't pay for daycare with that. Right. So there aren't really services that support that kind of thing. So I just want to kind of get an idea or really give them an idea first how you even got into this role of raising your grandson. And I'm going to go ahead and slice up my tomatoes and avocado. 
Um, well, what happened was uh, I found out that I had a grandson when he was seven months old. And his mother didn't have a place to live. She grew up in foster care. Okay, his mom. His mom. And my son and his mom had some kind of one-night thing going on, and she got pregnant. Okay. And so then when when I found—she found me, and then she moved with me and my grandson. He was less than a year old, and that was in September of 2013. And she died um, December the 14th, 2013, from a brain abscess. Okay. So the mom, how old was she when she died? 25. So she was 25 and she died from a brain abscess. Right. But prior to that, she and the baby had moved in with you. Right. Why had she moved in with you? Because the apartment that she was living in, which was a house apartment, Mm -hmm. the woman had sold the apartment. Mm-hmm. Sold the, the house. The building, yeah. Yeah. And then she was living with a friend, and the, and the place was just a, a mess. It was mice. And and like I said, her, co- her skills were limited because she grew up in foster care. Her mm-hmm. mother was on drugs. And she, she had some limitations. Right. And so he was my grandson. I didn't want him living in the street, so I put I, I told took them in. Mm-hmm. So at this point, obviously, you know, like you said, it was kind of like a one night stand kind of thing or yeah. whatever. So, so it they wasn't weren't really, really together. a relationship. It wasn't a relationship. Right. Right. So, what's his role? Your son's role in helping to raise the son? Did he step up once she passed? No. No, he didn't, because. First of all, he was angry with her for getting pregnant in the first place. Mm. So he really wasn't accepting the child at first. But mm-hmm. then now he accepts the child, but he's not really mature or to take that responsibility. And truthfully speaking, if I had him helping me or with me, I would have to take care of him and him. I would have to tell him what to do, how to do. With it. And I'm done with that. I don't have mm. the patience for the, this grown man. He's now uh, 30. He'll be 31 this week coming. Okay. So, so it's easier no, for you 32. to just, It's easier for me. To just take care of the grandson. Just take care of yourself. Him, myself. And do it my way. And I have, we both have joint custody of him. You and your son share the custody. Yes. So, does your son work? He does not keep a, a steady job. So, you're taking care of your grandson right. financially and, on fina- your own. But financially, see, he, he gets survivor's benefits I was from his ask mother. About that. So, his, I'm going to say his survivor's benefits is about $725 a month. Mm-hmm. But that takes care of daycare. Right. So daycare is $150 a week. Mm-hmm. So, um, which which he does go to school now. He's in kindy, He just passed to the first grade, but I still have to get aftercare. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the money takes care of daycare or things like that. Right. But the other part, the clothes and the... But I love it. Do you? I love it. I but, but see, and that's the beautiful thing, though. See, you love it, but there are a lot of people that are struggling with it. And they may be raising their grandkids or nieces or whomever, nephews, and they resent it. You know what I'm saying? Because these kind of things happen. Because sometimes 
folks have to step into the role, not just because the parent was trifling, but sometimes like in the case of, you know, your grandson's mother, she passed. But but my son is trifling (laughs) as far as um, taking responsibility for for him. Right. For example, he could come over and clean his room. He could wash his clothes. Mm-hmm. He could prepare meals after school, after work, so, or lunch. Yeah. There's so many other things that he could do that to would be helpful yeah. besides give me money. You know, he, does he give you money? No. Okay. He could do homework. He could do some of those other things. He might could discipline him some so that I don't have to discipline him all the mm-hmm. time. Well, do you think you love it because you have a better relationship with your grandchild than you did with his dad? Or it's an opportunity to have a better relationship with your grandson than you have with your kids? Um, that was a good Oprah Winfrey question, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and think about it, beloved. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, I think both because, you know, I got two grandchildren mm-hmm. and my oldest son takes care of my oldest, my other granddaughter, who is about a year or so older, a year and a half older than my grandson. But I just love, I don't have the same opportunity with her, but I, if I did, I would like it. And maybe that's why, because I didn't have... I don't have a good relationship with my children as good as I do with my grandchildren. As a matter of fact, when I go, my grandchildren get everything that I own. You mean when you pass away? When I pass away. You're going to leave everything. You're going to bequeath everything to the grandkids. That's another $6 million word. <laughs> bequeath. Yes. So... What does bequeath mean? You're going you're gonna to will everything to them. You're going to leave everything to them. So... Um, but but what about those people, like those parents, like I said, or godparents that are raising kids and they really are having a tough time? How did you get, what did you call it, survivors? Well, I get survivors benefits, benefits. because anytime you are under 18 and your parent dies. It automatically happens. Yeah, especially if your parent worked. Right, because I thought it was like Social Security that they would get. It is, it is from it is? Social okay. Security. So... When 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 you put in that to Social Security that the um the parent the parent passed away, then they will based on what they worked, you know how much they put into put the into the system, they will give them so much a month, and he'll get it until he turns eighteen. So, how did this change your life, though, in terms of like like because you work still, you're not retired, right? But. Now, maybe it would be a struggle. It's not a struggle for me like when my kids were little and I didn't make as much money as I make now. And then it was a struggle because I could, you know, I was struggling. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time when my kids were little working, going to college, doing. But now I I don't, I got all that under my belt. You know, I'm not working to buy a house. I'm not working to go to college. I just work a normal job and I get a decent salary and and I can afford to take care of him. It's not a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. But there also, like you said, is a lot of resentment 
with your other grandparents because it's mm-hmm. fine. It's a financial financial burden. Yeah, but like even when Gladys was raising her grandson, she was financially able to support him, and they, and she enjoyed it. I think she enjoyed it. I do. I don't know. Well, at first I wasn't because you know I was just working. I didn't have the assistant living then. But since I was dating Willie. And I had to go up to social service like 7 o'clock one morning so that I could try to get to work not too, too late. And it was raining and everything. And he just said, you know, don't even fool with those people. As long as my knees are bad, I'm going to take care of you and these children. And uh, so I just didn't worry about it anymore. And then once I started assisting living, I was financially able to do a lot better. And so but also with mm-hmm. you, you know, since uh, you have Kaylin... You met Joe, who's a good man, who's accepted, you know, you, your children, your grandchildren. Right. And, you know, so you have support with him as well. Right. Well, what I will say from my perspective, like when my mother was raising my oldest nephew, Ty, um, my sister was 19 when she had him. So... It probably was a little easier then because, one, my mother was younger. And then Ty and I kind of grew... Well, not kind of. We grew up together. There's just a five-year difference between the two of us. So, like, when it came to homework, I was helping him with homework because I was only five years older. So, like, I could help him with the homework and whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And then it got to the point where, you know, Terrell came along. My sister had Terrell. Now, my mother was older. And at this point, she had the bit, she was starting the assisted living business. She was still working full time, but she was starting the assisted living business, which, of course, you know, required her to renovate that other house. Right. Um, so it was a lot of expenses, you know, that, that were going out for her in terms of trying to get that. Bit. And I really and I say this all the time. I really think that I got my entrepreneurial spirit from my fa- from my mother, because God knows I didn't get it from my father. But, I mean, my father's a hard worker. He works, you know, stuff like that. But my father is not, you got to be a risk taker to go out on a dream, to step out on your dream, you know, whatever it is. And so I used to watch her go down to that. She would go to work. She would come home. Or well, she, would, she wouldn't even come home. She would stop down at the other house. And, um, yep. You know, oversee like construction or whatever was happening down there. And it was years before she got a first client down there. And that was through Juliet. And that was through you. But my point is, by at that point, she was older and she had a lot more going on financially. But I was older, too. So I was at a point where I was driving so I could pick Terrell up from school. I could drop him off at school or whatever. But it was still a burden because financially... I was also about to go to college soon. And then, like I said, she had this business. And so, like, there was just no extra money. Right. And, like, here she was taking care of a second child. Right. And my sister was off getting high, you know, on drugs. And so it was, like, a burden. And so when I think back, it it was a lot. Like, I really do think back. Well, let me ask you, when you're, and this is not what we're talking about, but Mm -hmm. when your sister looks at these um, lives or podcasts, mm-hmm. and you say these things. Girl, it's the truth. When I saw the mince words. No, but does that make you know? Girl, that's her truth. She was on drugs. My mother raised her kids. I didn't deviate I from the truth. She looked at, looks at. Well, here's what I will tell you. In my first book, I write about 
um, this extensively. Mm-hmm. And I mean, down to the point of like how, you know, my youngest nephew, Terrell, would sometimes come here because like he he lived with us, but he also lived with his mother. My right. nephew, Ty, who's the oldest, he's always lived with us. He's mm-hmm. never lived with her. Because like I said, when, when my sister had him, she was 19. So Ty never left this house. But when Terrell was born, she wasn't living with us. She was still with the father. You know, and then they broke up, and then she'd be in and out of drug treatment center, so he would come here. So he kind of, like, stayed with us sometimes, and he would be with her. But there were times that he would come here, and he'd be filthy, like, pamper full of poop. You know, so he'd be starving, you know, hungry. You know what I'm saying? And so we, I saw the effects of that, and so I write about that in the book. And so when she read the first book, you know, she knew about the book, and I told her that, you know, it was coming, what I wrote about, and all that kind of stuff. But to actually see the words on the paper, and by the time my first book came out, right. she had been clean for 20 years. Right. Literally 20 years. And so by the time that first book came out, you know, anyone who met her in that 20-year span didn't know who she was at the time. I say all of that to say she was dating a guy at the time. And he was reading my first book with her. They both bought a copy and they both were reading it. And so he was further along in the book than she was. So he got to the point in the book <laughs> where she was getting high. And the and Terrell would come over here and he'd be dirty and, you know, hungry. And he said to her, he said, wow, I just... Because they were only dating a couple years. And he said to her, wow, I cannot imagine you this way. He said, I, I can't... Because he had never seen her as an addict. He had only seen her as a rehabilitated person. And she, and, and she said to him, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what she said to him, but basically, she, you know, they had a conversation about it. She, he knew that she had been a recovering addict. Right. He knew that, but he had right. never seen it. And so then she called me, even though she knew I had written about it. She called me and said, um, why did you have to write all of that in the book? Like, why did you have to go into all that? Like, you know, that, and then she was in a little bit of denial. It was like, Terrell was never dirty. But, you know, you got to remember she was in. She was on drugs, so you didn't see what we saw, because right. a lot of those years you were in a fog. And then she even called my brother, who spent twenty three years in jail, and she said to him, "Well, how do you feel about Craig writing this in the book?" But again, he knew that I, the people that I cared about, I told them that I was writing this book and what was going in the book. So this was not like Nova and uh, Queen Sugar. But my brother said to her, "I don't have a problem with what he wrote. It was the truth. It's the truth. Now, if he had written something other than the truth, then yeah, I would have an issue. But it's the truth. So she just kind of had to relive it, I guess, a bit. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it was what had happened. Right. You know, but I think that what happens is a lot of times these kids feel bounced around. Now, I don't think your grandson will feel like that. But here's what I will tell you: your your situation is unique." In a sense that his mother passed away, but his father is still living. Right. So he may have a bit of resentment towards the father at some point because he is living. Well, he does have resentment towards his father. How old is he now? Six. He's six. But he he knows he he's like has an old soul, and maybe because I'm older, and you know I I raised him because. What I didn't do with my kids is when I told them things, don't do this or do this, I explained to I explained to the kids. I didn't explain it. I say it's this way and I didn't explain it. Right. But this time, 
when I do tell him things, I explain it. Well, this is this mm-hmm. and, and why, and and you need to think about this and you need to be mindful of that. So he's thought provoking. Right. So he is resentful to it. So he doesn't want to go visit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, but he wants me to be kind to him and not fuss at him. But right. he doesn't want to go stay with him. Really. He, he doesn't want to do anything with him. Well, I know with time. His father, well, his grandmother and dad always said that Ty wasn't his child. But the sister would consistently come every weekend to pick him up to take him over there. And um, so then it got to the point where the grandmother was like, yeah, here's my grandson. He looks like his dad is so-and-so and so-and-so. So by the time Ty was about eight, because he would go over there doing the summer and stay, and then he'd come back, because we usually go down to Jenny Beach or somewhere for a week or two. Right. And uh, so other than that, she would keep him, because I was working. Right. And I didn't want to leave him here with Craig, you know, because he was just old enough to keep us out. <laughs> so, um... And he is not nobody's babysitter, okay? And so, you know, they never, to me, never really had a really good relationship, the two of them. And, um, but but you know what I will say is I think that a lot of times kids oftentimes will have a better relationship with their mother's side of the family. Right. Usually. Usually. You know what I'm saying? Like I was closer to my mother's side of the family than my father's side. Like there's people on my father's side that I don't even know. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and my father has always been in my in my life, but I always felt closer to my mother's side of the family than I did to his side. I just never really felt close to them. But, so, do you have any friends or grandmothers like you that are raising their grandkids that are struggling or, you know? You see it all the time. And it, because it's evident in the black community. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a social worker. So you all know, right, come on, give us some of that social work. Um. <laughs> so, in the black community, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Black, you know, we, we take care of the grandchildren most of the time. It's a, it happens all the time in Baltimore. And what are some of the reasons that you think that it's happening? Drugs. Um, it, the, it, the kids are irresponsible. They don't have jobs. I, don't, I just don't know. It's, it's like they just don't take responsibility for their kids. And people will tell me, well, if you just um, stop doing it and just make your son do whatever it is he's mm-hmm. supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, and remember I used to tell you that about right. um, mm-hmm. Ty all the time. Yeah. But then I had to learn. Mm-hmm. You Either my grandson is going to be a knucklehead or right. I'm going to do the best I can. To, to well, let me give them a little background on what you just said. So my mother and Juliet are really good friends, right? So when they met, how did y'all meet? Through this uh, the sister eleven. I used to work. I was uh, a case manager, and she needed clients in her house. My mother was trying to get clients for her assistant living business, and that was in 1997. Okay, so in 97 they met. So that let you know how long ago that was. So they were they became friends. So what's that? 25 years. That's 25 years between 96 yeah. and 97. Yeah. So what happened was. When Juliet came into my mother's life, or when they came into each other's life, in 97, I was still in high school, which meant Ty was about to go to high school. Right. 
And my mother was raising Ty, and she she would sometimes raise Terrell because he was back and forth. And Juliet had all of these opinions and was just like, well, girl, if you just would just stop doing this for them and, you know, Donnie would have to step up. That's my sister. I used to say that too. Donnie would have to step up and, you know, this, that, and the third. Don't be mad with me, Donnie. (laughs) But now Juliet is seeing firsthand that what matters most is the grandkid. You know what I'm saying? And like, you don't want to, you can try to do that tough love thing and think that the parent is going to step up. But, like, in my sister's case, she was on drugs, so she was not stepping up. And I was not going to see my grandkids in foster care. Because, like, at first she was getting married to some guy, and they were moved to Virginia with his mother. And I'm like, first of all, you don't even know the mother. You don't know what the circumstances are down there. So if you want to get married and move down there, you go, but you're going to leave him here. And then if things work out, you can come back and get him. And before I knew it, they were both back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't let Ty go. So whenever she would move, I just would let her move with her because I knew she was going in and out of the drunk life. And I didn't want to have it on my conscience, you know, that something happened. Right. Because I'm mad with her and try to make her take him, you know, to keep him over the weekend or whatever. Right, right. So, uh, and the same thing with Terrell, you know, and he would just lie. And, you know, I'd go out there from work and I said, Terrell, you had dinner yet? Yeah, we had chicken and broccoli and so and so. And I go in the house, wouldn't be a drop of food. In there, you know. But you know what I realized from that whole thing? Because like she was saying, Terrell, my youngest nephew that that stayed with Donnie and she would come he would come here, he would live with her, come here. I don't care care how dysfunctional a child's relationship is with their mother or how um abusive it physically or verbally it is, that child is always going to maintain a soft spot for that mother. Yeah, and they're right. always going to try to protect that mother. Right. And that's what he would do. But but then they also look at the difference between Ty and Terrell. Mm-hmm. Right. Terrell is a survivor. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and Terrell is more independent. He's going to try to figure it out before he asks for help. I was just telling you the story the other day. I'm not going to go into that now, but... I literally had to help him the other day because he won't ask. He won't ask for help. and But that's one of the things that I think he learned coming through that fire. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because he's, he, he's never had that stable home life. But I will also say, I think part of the reason that Terrell gravitates to these girls that have kids is because he craves this built-in family. I think that he feels... I don't think he ever really felt at home. I think he feels at home here, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he never had a stable right. home life here because he didn't know how long he would live here right. and how when long he, he would came, be with her. When he came here, he was older. You know what happened? Uh, I was coming from my mother's, I think, one Sunday, and we stopped at this light because they live right there at Garrison and Park Heights. Mm-hmm. And I said to Craig, I said, that's the road crime. He said, my name, you know that's him crying. I said, I'm telling you, that's him crying. So we turned around, Paul Tom went in there. I mean, he was brunched in urine. And then they all hide up. I just took him. He was like seven months old. And I just kept him. I called Lynn. And I said, Lynn, give me the lady's number that used to keep time when she was a baby. Because I'm a niece and I can keep the route. And I got to be to work at 7 o'clock, which she already knew. And uh, so I called this lady, and she was like, 
she wasn't taking more children. And I said, Miss, you have please got to help me because I don't know what else I'm going to do. You know, I can't lose my job. She said, well, all right, bring them tomorrow. And if it works out, you know, then I'll be able to keep them. So that's what I did. I dropped them off the next morning. And from then on, you know, she just started keeping them. And then when he got a little bit older, he used to start up real bad. And when I was taking him to the doctor, he was on the board down at this daycare on Pennsylvania Dolphin. I can't think of the name of the church. And uh, he said, I'm going to get him in there because they can take him to speech classes. And sure enough, he got him into that daycare. And a lady would open up at 630. So all I do was pull up. And these men that helped out in the daycare, they would just get him out the car, take him in, I could keep on going. And same thing when I picked them up. But uh, as far as you said about children defending their mother, I remember one day I was in here, and I mean, I was going in on Donnie on the phone with Lynn. And Ty, he was just sitting here for a while. I wasn't even paying any attention to him being here. And all of a sudden, he burst out crying. He said, you need to stop talking about my mother. And I said, oh, Lord, I didn't even think he was paying me any attention, you know. So from then on, I told him, I said, well, I'm not going to talk about it no more. <laughs> But no, you you kept Terrell up until he was five, and then he went back home. And then and then as he became, he he stayed. He went home at five, and then he came back here. He came back when he was about eight. Okay. But he was in and out in between. Mm -hmm. But he really came back about eight years old. He stayed until he went to uh, middle school. And then that's when Don, I think, met George, and they got married, and he ended up moving up Delaware with them. But that was another mess. Oh, please, believe. But, you know, it's, it's just really hard, and I just don't know if I would be made of the stuff. I mean, I'm sure I would, but, like, to really step in for somebody else's child, you know, especially after you've raised your own kids... And they've already become an adult, and it's like you got to start all over again. Because I literally will sometimes see grandparents. You can tell when it's a grandparent. You're in a store someplace, and you can tell that it's a grandparent raising right. that grandkid. And you can tell that that grandparent is overwhelmed. They sometimes mean to the kid because they because they, they know they have to step up for the kid, but, but they're, they're resentful. But in the, tired. But in the black community... That is a part of our community is that we raise the grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And it's in the Hispanic community, too. But now it's almost like it's, it's intensified because, again, like you said, the drugs, even more than ever, black men are not present in the home. Right. So what do you think the solution is? And I don't even know if you have the answer. I'm just guessing. I'm just asking because... As a social worker, you see this my, stuff. My thing is, my well, I don't have the answer, but I do know some of the contributing factors. And some of the contributing factors are that society, TV, propaganda mm -hmm. demonizes the black men. They don't have the self-esteem. Mm -hmm. They don't have the opportunity to, to advance themselves, they don't have the education, mm -hmm. and they're not self-sufficient. They're like Joe, my husband. Mm -hmm. He is not is the type of person that will take care of family. He works 
He's a construction worker. He's self-taught. Mm-hmm. He can repair, fix anything, car, whatever. He's going to make that money and make mm-hmm. it work. Mm-hmm. Right. Why can't my son do that? I've taught my son from... We're going to make this work. When I had assistant living business, too, I had all three of my kids working in assistant mm-hmm. living. Had them cooking the food, cutting the lawnmower. My kids used to break the lawnmower just to keep from cutting the grass. They used to break the um, the vacuum cleaner to keep from vacuuming the floor. Mm-hmm. And they worked against me. They worked against me. And I was making all of us work in the business so that we could all have. Right. So, but one, and I'm gonna say this to you, but one of the things that I've said to my mother, because I really do think that my sister, because my mother and my sister have this kind of a relationship where it's on again, off again. It's kind of on right now. But (laughs) um, my sister has communicated in so many ways that she feels like my mother gave me more than she gave. Her and my brother. My sister and brother have the same father. I have a different father. So my sister feels and has said she thinks that my mother has done more for me than she did for either of them. My brother doesn't feel that way. My brother has said, no, we just took our path. And what I will say to you and I'll say to everybody that's listening, I think there's a fine line. And this is the quote in my third book. There's a fine line between what a child wants for themselves and what a parent can give you. There's a fine line between those two things. So, like, it doesn't matter how much... Because I, from my perspective, I think my mother gave me... And, of course, there's a 14, 15-year gap between me and my sister and brother. So I wasn't there for their childhood. But based on what I've heard and based on what I've pieced together from what my brother has said, family has said, she gave them the same thing that she gave me. Now, granted... I do believe that as you get older, like you're older now, you're older now raising your grandson than you were when you were raising your kids. And like you said, when you were younger, you were trying to get everything situated. You're trying to buy your house, start your business, go to school, where now you're more settled. I believe the same is true with me. My mother had me at 32. She had, what you had, Donnie, at 20? She had Donnie at like 18. So she wasn't, you know, but by the time I came along, she had me in art classes. She had me in swimming classes. I took karate. Well, you, well, she's saying she did the same thing with them, but what I'm saying is I'm sure that there were instances where she wasn't as present okay. because she was helping me with my okay. homework all of the but time. But let me say something. Go ahead. Okay, so so Donnie, your, your sister, mm-hmm. in her childhood, or whatever happened, mm-hmm. whatever happened with her self-esteem, mm-hmm. with her way of thinking, mm-hmm. with her, um, her self-image. Yes. She got on drugs, Mm -hmm. and she had kids, and she struggled, and she went through the struggle. Right. Okay? Right. And so that has something to do with her perspective of your mother doing more for you Mm -hmm. than she did for her. if you do, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so she, she, it doesn't have anything to do with her, her saying that. She did more for you than she mm-hmm. did for her for mother. For them. Mm. It has nothing to do with you. No, it has nothing to do with me. Right. But what I think she does is she uses it against my mother to take advantage. Because I think I will say this, and I've said this before. I really do feel like my mother 
tries to overcompensate because my mother holds that. I mean, my sister holds that thing over her head. But, and I think my mother goes out of her way to try to what, show And her. like I said to you the other day, well, what more could your mother have done well, other yeah. than raise her kids? And I agree. But you know, most people... So, so, so she raised her kids. Mm-hmm. That's more she ever did for you. Right. Because I ain't never had no kids for her to raise. But And that's exactly my point. But a lot of times... We look from a very myopic point of view. We only look from our point of view. We're not looking from another perspective. And I feel like my sister looks from her own perspective. She looks at the fact that I went to college and then I went and did this. And you know what I'm saying? Right. But my and thing so is, that, right. but, but, but my point is, mm-hmm. you had those same options too. Right. You chose to go the wayward way. Right. You know what I'm saying? So there's a fine. So I think that even though what right. my mother did for me wasn't identical to what she did to, for them, right. but I believe she gave us the same core and stuff. And then as she got older, she had more money. Yeah. She was more established. More settled. So she could help. Right. But she's done everything for all, even your brother. Right. I mean, my God. I remember when she was helping him, taking care packages and sending She dragged me down to them jails a few times. <laughs> Look, drag me down to the jail to visit him a few times. <laughs> and I remember, and I used to, I'm, I'm telling you, she did, but she did a lot. She did she did mm-hmm. a lot. And in my family, my brother thinks that I was the golden child, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I was treated better. Mm-hmm. Because now if you put us side by side, I have more than him. I'm mm-hmm. more established mm-hmm. than him. So he feels like because I'm more established... That they gave I, you more. That they gave but me that's, more. But that's the point that I'm making. I think there's a fine line between what your parents can give you and what you want for yourself. So let's just say for the sake of argument, they gave you the same thing. My mother gave us the same thing. But how much are you going to factor in my own drive, right. my own ambition, right. my own wants for myself? You know what I'm saying? Because what good is... Her hope for my sister, if if her hope is to be who she is, you know what I'm saying. You can't dream a bigger dream for somebody else. That's just whether you're dating, and, whether you're. And kids. this is another thing. Well, I, I got mm-hmm. a thought. Okay, so when you get off of drugs, and I told Gladys this years ago, and oh, I hope you're about to say what I'm about to say. Go ahead. When you get off of, of drugs. You still have the same... First of all, you're stuck in the age you were in when you got on the That's what I was going to say. So you lost all of that growth and all that growth and all of that maturity. Mm -hmm. So you're starting from that state of mind. She got on drugs at 19. Okay. And... and, Lord, I got to think. Because I had another thought. So, So... you still have a manipulative, a manipulative spirit. Yes. So her way, like, and I'm, I don't really want to talk bad about your sister. It's not talking bad. This is just about. No, a, a, this is just giving. This is in general. Exactly. But but her her way is just like when she's mani- she's manipulated because she was mother. on drugs for so many years so they, they learned to manipulate right but that doesn't go away exactly exactly so that l- so, l- let me help you beloved uh, <laughs> okay i'm gonna tell you, i'm gonna give you a, a good metaphor a really good metaphor it's just like with gay folk when you're in the closet when you're in the closet before you ever tell anybody who you are even maybe even before you start having experiences and stuff, right? 
There's an incubation period where you're in that closet and you're battling with yourself and you're trying to wrestle with whether or not you really can control those feelings, whether or not you can turn them on or off. Then there's a period where you realize, okay, this is something that I can't really control, right? Mm -hmm. So then you start acting on the feelings. You might start sneaking out to the gay clubs. Mm -hmm. You might get a few little gay friends, but you don't let anybody in your real life, your family, your friends that you grow with, you don't let any of them meet any of these new people. So you teach yourself while you're in the closet, quote unquote, how to sneak, how to cheat, how to hide, and how to lie for the sake of protecting your sexuality from everybody else. You teach yourself how to do this, how to manipulate everybody, your friend, your family. Where are you going? Oh, I'm just going to hang out with some people. Knowing you going to the gay bar, it's the same thing with a drug addict. You learn how to hide and get over on people and get what you want so you can go get that high. And when even after you come out of the closet, even after you come out of the closet or even after you get off the drugs, that behavior still continues sometimes because you've programmed yourself to do it. And you got to actively condition yourself right. to not do it anymore. Right. Exactly. There you and that's it. the whole part of the, the drug. Um, yes. With it, going to NA meetings yes. and all that, they supposed to teach you all of that yes. to be honest yes. and don't and don't manipulate and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so, and so you said she holds things over your mm-hmm. mother's head and 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 and, and play well, on that this, guilt. You did this for Craig, right? If it was Craig, you would have done but it. But it had, that has nothing to do with nothing, right? Whatever she did for you, that has nothing to do with whatever she's trying to get. She's just using that mm-hmm. because in reality, if you really looked at the real deal, she did more for her than she did for you mm-hmm. because she raised her kids and she gave her kids life, right? She really right. gave her kids right. life. Her kids, Terrell could have died. In yeah, or house. he could have been in foster care. He could have been molested, he raped, he or anything. Been all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So starved. St- he could have died mean, of, from cold. I, you know. I worked in foster care, right? And I had these two twin girls. I had these two twin girls that were in foster care. I was a foster care social worker, and their mother was on drugs. And the, they had an older, an older sister. These mm-hmm. little girls. Now the, the, the older sister was four. The little girls were were two. Mm-hmm. And the mother gave the four year old to the drug dealer for for, for sex, drugs. Oh, for, for drugs. Mm, for sex. Mm, mm. For he drugs. gave. She gave the little girl to him to have sex with the little girl for drugs. Now that's how twisted up her mind. I'm not saying Donnie would do no, 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 right, like right. That. but does but she that's how, her, that's that how twisted up her mind was that she needed those drugs that bad. Well, guess mm. what? That drug dealer killed that little girl. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. So I'm saying that you gave mm-hmm. Donnie more right. than you ever gave Craig, than you ever gave your other son. Because you raised her kids and you gave them life. Mm-hmm. Gave them a chance like that they wouldn't have had. Right. Yes. That they wouldn't have. Because even their fathers weren't there to take them in. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But 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 I want people who are in the position like you that are raising, like my mother was, raising somebody's kid to hear this because... I know it could be difficult. I know it could be very hard. And, you, you, you know, you never have any time for yourself and never have any leftover money for yourself or whatever. But think about 
all that you're keeping that kid from. Think about the possibility. But see, I enjoy, okay, like if I take him to Hershey Park mm-hmm. or if I take him if I take him swimming or if I take him to the park, I'd rather be doing that than to be doing something personal for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think that you're an exception. Because I, I like, I mean, I like, um, I like just watching him. See, I'm enjoying the stuff that I was too busy to enjoy or right. not immatu- right. not mature enough to ma- enjoy when my kids were right. little. I wasn't mature enough to say, oh, they think that, or that's funny, or that's mm-hmm. cute, mm-hmm. you know, or, uh, you know. Because you were too busy trying to live, and you were, you know what I'm saying? Right. That's what I always say about when you're in your 20s. I don't know how old you were when you had your kids. I was in my 20s, but I still, I was so busy working. Right. But, but still, I had them too young. Right, because when you're in your 20s, I've re- and I've said this for a long time, when you're in your 20s, you live outside of yourself. You're so busy trying to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish. You fo- and even if it's not specific goals, but you're you're focused on going out with your friends. You're focused on doing the things that make you happy, things that are self-satisfying. And you're living outside right. of yourself exactly. because you're trying to pull those things to you. You're trying to make yeah. because it's an extenuation of your childhood. Because yes. you're mm-hmm. self-centered. You're still self-centered yes. in your twenties. You're, you're in the moment. Yeah. Right. And so you just finding out who you are. You yeah. don't know who you are until you're in your 30s. Abs- Listen, that's why I say that there's a 30 shift. There's a 30, I believe there's a shift that happens interpersonally when you're 30. And like somewhere between the ages of 28 and 30 are the roughest years. They, I don't know exactly. If you remember, those exactly. are those were hard that's the years transition. for me. Yeah, and then and then when you turn thirty, you're in another phase. Exactly. But the same thing when you turn forty. Yeah. Same thing when you turn yes. fifty. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know things didn't start to smooth out for me until about uh, 38, 39. He's forty three now, so it's only been a good four years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's rough. Like you really go through. Because I really think that the. It's some growing phases that you go through. And to use Lauren Hill's words, you have to do some dying. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to be stripped of who you were to become who you're going to become. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And and, and, uh, ridding yourself a lot of those childish ways. And and, okay, but you just like you said, you have to be stripped of mm -hmm. who you were. You're going to be stripped of who you were again and again. Again and again. Because you're always growing. You're always evolving. You're going to be... What Maya, Maya Angelou said, and when she had her radio station on Oprah, the Oprah, mm-hmm, um, radio, yeah. she said, you're not grown until you're 50. Listen. And I was like, what? I get that. Because when I was, go ahead. But I'm, I'm 56 this week. I'll be 56. Mm-hmm. And she's right. You're not grown until you're 50 because then you're really settling down. You're really and you and and you're still learning, always learning, always mm-hmm. evolving. So But but there's there are these moments where you have this exponential growth. So like at 30, then you have another big push at 40. Yep. I mean you have one at 35 too. Because I felt one at 35, but I had one at 40. You know what I'm saying? Like I, and I have a friend who used to tell me. Because he's older than I am. And he used to say, Craig, wait till you turn 35. And I would be like, Greg, what do you mean? He's like, just let me know when you turn 35. He used to tell me that. And, I didn't, and when I was a kid, I used to think 25 was it. 
I thought, because see, in my mind, your, your car right, insurance of dropped. Of course. You know what I'm saying? I just felt like you had it all figured out. It, it must be something special about 25. Your car right. insurance drops. You know, you got it figured out by then. You've already graduated college if you were going to go, most likely. You were going to be done by 25. So I just felt like 25 was like this magic number. But when I got to 25, I'm like, stuff is still not right. Like, I, I, like, I remember my, I've always been able to pay my rent, like, when I had jobs, not those periods when I wasn't able to pay rent, when I was out on this entrepreneurial thing. But like when I was like right out of college, I always had jobs before I really jumped into this writing thing and entertainment thing. And I so was always able to pay writing, my rent. The, the writing, because your, your major was communication. Yeah, it was communication. So the writing the writing thing was the thing for you when you when you um, started to know, find your niche into mm-hmm. the work world. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. Right. Because I remember the greeting cards. Yeah. Yeah, and then the books. Yes, the- but be- but remember, years before all of that started happening, I was working corporate jobs with just a dream, and all I was doing at that time, at that time, I was writing music, and it was just one of those things that I felt like it was never going to happen. They, I always had this drive, like, oh, it's going to happen. It's going, but there was always a small piece of me that felt like maybe it's never going to happen because I remember working jobs and not having enough. Feeling like I didn't have enough to stretch. And so I was always able to pay my rent and things like that, but I could never really see myself graduating to the point where I could sustain without going to a day job. So so I I, I, I hear you. Now, how did we get on this? I know. Well, I go know. Ahead. We get ready to go on this. I'm just, I, you just got me another thought. Go ahead. <laughs> so now you're going through another... Yes. Phase. You're getting ready to go into another phase of your life that mm-hmm. you have just um, realized, mm-hmm. and that's you have older parents now, oh, and your yes. role is going to change. It is changing. Okay, and so your 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 role is going to change, and so you gotta mature it up <sighs> to to be able to. To handle that. That's why I told you yesterday. Yeah. I said your your mom did the best she could. When when we worked, when we were even though I'm your mother's old enough to be my mother. Mm-hmm. So, um, because my mother is about her age, a little bit about a year older than her, or something mm-hmm. like that. So, um, so your mom and your mom's kids are older than me anyway. Mm-hmm. So your mom Back then, there was no vegan that we knew about. Right. Maybe it was. There was no health thing on TV. Well, to your point, there was nobody on a Facebook. Like you said, I'm watching you right now, Craig. Like Julia and I talked on the phone yesterday. And she was like, you know, I want you to be really be more patient with your mom because she really did the best she could when she was young. You got to remember she was raising you and tying Terrell and going to work and trying to get the business started. So like... It was just easier for her to put together meals and like she may not have always had the time to prioritize her health and go to the gym and do this and do that. And like there was no such thing. Like I'm sitting here watching you right now on Facebook and all of this stuff that you're talking about. I got that stuff right in my cabinet. and I never even thought to prepare this stuff this way. But like we didn't know anything about that. So it's like, you know, so I, I did hear you. I heard you. But no, I get it. And but but to your point, it is so hard. It is so hard because just like yesterday, we had dinner. 
<laughs> now listen, this podcast has taken a nasty left turn. So listen, I know we're supposed to be talking about someone else's child, but listen, you get a little bit of everything. But we were at dinner yesterday for my nephew's birthday. My great nephew, he's 16, he turned 16. So we go to this um, seafood restaurant, food was great. And well, let me, let me take a step back. So earlier in the day, my mother and I went to lunch. And so I took her to lunch, and so we eating. We had a great lunch, and so we're leaving on on the way back here to the house. And she says to me, "I didn't get a piece of carrot cake. I should have got some carrot cake." I just looked at her and kept driving because I'm sitting there thinking, "If you think I'm about to go back for some carrot cake, and we we a couple streets away from the house," and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, "You don't need no carrot cake, no way." Well, that's what you said. You don't need no carrot cake. Well, I didn't say that then. I didn't say anything in the car. So then that night, we went to dinner for my nephew's birthday. Here she come you with... You did. You said you don't need I no said it at the dinner. No. Oh, I said it in the car? You said you don't need no carrot cake. Okay, so I may have said it in the car. You don't need no carrot cake. You still eat the wrong things. I said, well, I had no... Oh, yeah, yeah. So that I did. So we in the car coming from lunch. And I said, you don't need no carrot cake. No way. Oh, well, I ain't had nothing sweet in a while. I said, didn't... I said, you may not have had nothing sweet, but didn't Gloria just bring you some ribs... At the hospital or when you got out of the hospital or something the other day? Um, I don't remember that. I just looked at it. I'm saying the thing you may not remember, but I remember. So then that night, we go to dinner for my nephew's birthday. So everybody had that dinner. And mind you, my nephew had little cupcakes that he was giving to everybody. Now, I didn't eat that because, you know, they made with milk and dairy. So I didn't eat it. So um, You don't eat, drink milk? No, I haven't. No, I stopped drinking milk years ago. Why? Even before I came off the meat. Because... It, like it's it's a it's an animal's milk. Like I know I don't want to drink that. It's a lot of fat in it, and even before I knew about all the other all stuff, eggs. I just yeah. So I just I no always eggs. cut that out. So I was drinking almond milk for a long time, even before you know what I'm saying. So I've probably been off of milk probably at least five or six, seven years. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we go to dinner. So here comes this huge slab of carrot cake. Where did they set it? Right in front of her. <laughs> So, Tyreek was like, Graham, why'd you order cake? I have cupcakes. She said, well, I didn't know anything about those cupcakes. I didn't know. Find time to tell me. So, she eats half the slab of cake. I only ate about two pieces. You ate half of slab, half of that slab, right? So, then I said, well, if you were going to eat the cake, you could have given the cupcake back. Because, of course, she still took a cupcake. I said, well, you can give the cupcake back. Well, no, I can eat this cupcake with my medicine when I take my medicine. Now, who takes medicine with a cupcake? And see, it was in that moment that I thought about the conversation that you and I had earlier that day. It's like, you know what, Craig? You can't be responsible (laughs) for her health and her well-being. Like, you can only give the information... And then if a person receives it or they don't, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't, but sometimes I feel like I burden myself. I think that might be too strong of word to say. I don't really feel like I burden myself, but I think sometimes I kind of take it on. And it's like, as soon as I learn something, it's almost like I want to share. Right. With her. Cause you feel responsible. You, right. If, if you, you, you were like, Oh, I know this is, this will save her. She'll right. be, right. be longer. Yes. I want her to stay with me. Right. So let me show her how to do this. And yeah. she gonna, that's just like that shea butter that she just took from me. I didn't really didn't want to give it to her. Cause I feel like you just going to ask her, but you really ain't going to use it. I'm going to come up here. That container going to be sitting upstairs. And it's going to be the same amount of shea butter in it. It's just like I have a steamer. 
I got a steamer. I steam a lot of my veggies and food and stuff like that at home. Juliet, she talked about it for so... Oh, my God. I sure wouldn't mind having a steamer. I mean, for weeks, every time we got on the phone, she would talk about it. Oh, I would love to have a steamer. Oh, I would really do my... Veg- I would eat more veggies if I had a steamer. Ask her how many times she used her steamer. He bought you one. One of my people got her one. Ain't that something? One of my people, Dr. Young, sent her a steamer. Ask her, ask her how many times she used that steamer. Go ahead, ask her. <laughs> Dr. Young's going to have her feelings hurt. Dr. Young already know. I already told Dr. Young. Now, ask Gladys how many times she... But you're going to start using it, right? She has not used that steamer one time. Ask her how long she's had it. We're coming up on a year. Don't even worry about asking. It's coming up on a year. That had to get off of this. I don't know how we got to this, but guess what? But all of this is necessary. But I'm just like, now she asked and asked and asked. That's just like we were in a store the other day. Because, you know, you know, she got gout on her hand now. But it, she took a medication, you know, I guess it's subsided now. But you I was... Gout? Girl. You don't tell me these things, Glenn. She don't tell me either, so join the club. Oh. So I was over in D.C., and, you know, I was in this store, and they had this CBD cream, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, CBD. Mm-hmm. So they had the CBD cream, and so doc, I was with Dr. Young, and she said, you should get some of this for Gladys, because Dr. Young tried some on her finger. She has like a little pain, because Dr. Young is a um, podiatrist, and so she gets a little cramp in her hand sometimes, her finger, whatever. So she put some on her finger. She said, Craig, I feel it already. She said, it's helped my finger already. You should get some of this for your mother's hand. Girl, that cream was about $60. I said, girl, I ain't getting that cream. I said, that cream be over on the counter. You think I'm going to spend my money, <laughs> and she going to have it on the counter? Uh-uh-uh. No. Well, I used that uh, medicine that um, Tarnette sent me. I had to ask her to use that. Um, well, you can still go get the cream. They probably have some wherever. Girl, I ain't buying that cream. Anyway. Well, I wanted to ask you, how did you end up with your niece? For that oh, yeah, that's what I... Podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, so how'd you end up quick, with your niece? Just quick. My niece was having, you know, the delinquent problems with her mother. She was fighting her mother. And How old is she? She's 15 now. How old was she when you got her? She she turned 15 in February. I think I got her February 1st. So she's your brother's? She's my brother's daughter. daughter. So they, you know, so her mother has mental illness. Mm. And so she was fighting her mother and her mother and so instead of her going in the foster care because I used to take care of her when she was a baby so then she started to come with me I told them the foster care people said can you take her and I said yes so I have her and I have had her now for six months no fighting Mm -hmm. but I handle it differently I, you know, I, some of the stuff her mother went through, I went through with my kids. Mm-hmm. But I handle it differently. I give her respect. I um, I don't argue. I, we set ground rules from the beginning mm-hmm. when she came in. Don't fight me. Don't beat me up. I can't fight. Don't <laughs> talk back. You and, told her that? Yes, don't talk back, and we will get along just fine. If, mm-hmm. I, if you say something that, if I say something that you don't like, let, let's talk about it later. But mm-hmm. but please do what I ask you to do, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. And she does that. Right. She and she's doing well in school. She didn't go to her dad. 
because my bro- she was fighting him too. When he would oh, go over okay. there to help to the mother, he she would fight him she too. She fought him mm-hmm. too. So, do you think it's maybe because she was maybe she was acting out because her mom has mental illness and maybe she was either a embarrassed, maybe she just didn't know how to cope. Her mom maybe. has mental illness where she's depressed or she has she. The, she she's got like six kids and the old, the older kids have to take care of the younger kids mm-hmm. well this girl wasn't doing it she was the youngest of the older kids and she's like I'm not doing that no. right and they, then they would battle and argue and mm-hmm. then the girl wanted attention and then she would go see boys and things so like do you that. get any financial assistance for her from her parents Right now, no, I do not. I should be getting child support, but I really don't. I think in the whole six months, I've only gotten $200. And then her mother, um, she gets some kind of... Go ahead. The mother, the the mother applied for some kind of disability for mm-hmm. my niece. That's two hundred dollars. So she's supposed to give that up, and then they but want me doesn't. to go right. And then they want me to go to social services to get some two hundred dollar stipend, which I haven't done. I guess you know two hundred dollars is two hundred dollars. I guess if I did it all at two hundred, two hundred, two hundred, it might add up. Mm-hmm. But um, my sister helps me with her. Okay. Yeah, my sister helps. She buys shampoo and all like of those. Like toiletries and stuff. And clothes and mm-hmm. things like that. And then so. Oh, well, that's nice. So, were you kind of, did you feel overwhelmed when the prospect of you having to take her in arose? Did you kind of feel like, oh, God, here we go? Well, at first I was like kind of a little overwhelmed. Well, what if she does to me that the same mm-hmm. thing she did to her mother? And what if she fight me? And what if she's trying to go out with right. boys? Right. And want to be in places that she shouldn't be in? Mm-hmm. And, but that hasn't happened. Does she have a cell phone? I just bought her one because she passed to the 10th grade. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And I'm like, you got to be off the phone by 12. Mm-hmm. Um, if you she works in my sister's store, so when you go to work, don't be doing this all day long right. with the phone and looking at the phone and and she respects that. Right. Mm-hmm. So because I think a lot of kids not a lot, kids crave structure. And she obviously wasn't getting structure over at that house, and that's with her mom, and that's probably why she was acting out. But I was gonna ask you, um, I, I, I forgot my question because uh, Barbara Walters over there and jumped in with her other question. But um, I was going to ask you. Mm, I don't remember what I was going to well, ask you. I do you. have a, a question. Well, here she go. My co host. Um, that do would your be children nice. seem to be jealous. Oh, that's a good question. No. Of, um, no. That you're raising yeah, these other kids? Two kids? No. Okay. So. No. Um, Jermaine. Jermaine actually, we found out today that my niece plays the violin. Mm. So my oldest son, Jermaine, went over to her house this morning and got her violin. Oh, okay. And that was nice. Yeah, that was nice to him. I know what I was going to ask you. I think that it's, it's great that you took her in because she very well could have become a ward of the state. And like there's this show on Netflix called... My next guest requires no introduction, something like that. Dave, uh, David Letterman is the host, and Tiffany Haddish was a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time that I actually watched an interview with her that I, for the most part, enjoyed it. Because I feel like a lot of times she, um, 
she deflects when she has serious conversations about her upbringing, her childhood. She starts to joke about. She it. jokes about it, and then she. And to me, I think it's a teachable moment that she loses or misses out on. Um, not just for other kids that are in foster care, but for the way that stru- the way that foster cares are are run or operated. Like she really could give insight on that when she's on these major platforms giving these interviews. But a lot of times she'll start deflecting and she'll just start joking about certain things. And and I'm like, girl, this is a teachable moment. Like this is an opportunity really to save right. people and to right. really restructure the right. foster care system. But she did a really good interview with David Letterman and and. You know, with this show, they they interview in an auditorium, but then they also go like in her house. They went to her house and they met some of her family members. And she talked, and I know part of her story, but she talks about how she was homeless for a little while, right. and you know she was in and out of foster care systems. And I always wonder because watching this particular interview, there was a face to other family members. Like there were other family members that they introduced the audience to. And I said, well, where were these people when she was in foster care? Right. Where were these people when she was sleeping in her car? You know know what I'm saying? So I thought about that just now with you, like with your niece, like she very well could have ended up in some sort of a foster care or something if you had not stepped up. Right. You know? She would have. I believe. Because her mother, they they refused to go pick her up from the hospital. She spent the whole summer in the hospital. What was she in the hospital for? Because when because when she was fighting, she does have depression. Mm-hmm. But when she was fighting and she couldn't calm down, they called the police. They took her and they took her to Shepherd Pratt, mm-hmm. which is a a, a psychiatric, psychiatric hospital. Right. But you know who else t- Tiffany Haddish reminds me of? Do you know Essie Berry? I know that name. Why do I know that name? She's the one that used to be Rerun's mm-hmm. wife. And oh, what's happening? Yeah. Uh-huh. And she is the one that's on YouTube about um, Steve Harvey fussing, you know, about how dirty he is and what all he did to his wife. And I didn't she, follow that part. I didn't know that. So she's, every day she is posting on um um, so I did a little research on her. She's posting on YouTube every day about Steve Harvey, and she's kind of a little mm-hmm. cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's true. But now she really needs to move on with that. Right. But um, she some years ago put on YouTube how she was abused and beaten by her mother mm-hmm. every day and her mother didn't feed them and her kids it was awful what she mm-hmm. went through mm-hmm. it was awful and that reminded me of Tiffany Haddish yeah cause oh, Tiffany okay. Haddish's mom has mental illness still suffers right. from mental illness and she takes care of her today but she used to be yeah, there yeah her mom has schizophrenia yeah since Tiffany Haddish yeah she mom. was in a car accident and, and it, it messed her up See, see, a lot of times, and this is what I've learned with working with people with schizophrenia, you can go through a trauma in your life, such as a car accident, Mm -hmm. such as a a pregnancy, Mm -hmm. a rape, um, a pregnancy where you go on labor, and it can trigger the schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. You always have it. Not everybody that has it, but people who are going to get it have it. Yeah, and there's some sort of a trauma that activates it. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Hmm. Well, listen, I think this was a really good conversation. I think that, you know, somebody will benefit from it. Um, Again, the reason that I wanted to do it was because it's very common. And then hopefully, you know, somebody who's out there who's really having a difficult time will hear this and maybe will change the way that they are. You know, because, you know, again, 
sometimes people are really mean because they're exhausted and you know they're they're and I really do think that in some cases depression I'm not in some cases. I think depression is a form of mental illness. It what is. I was going to say is. was I think in some cases it's brought about because of financial stress. In a lot of cases, you know, it's something to be said about people, but marginalized there, people. Right, but that there's are struggling different types week. of depression. There's yes. depression when you get depressed because of financial stress, right. because of whatever stresses you're going mm-hmm. on in your life. Then there's depression where you're where people call it where you're in a deep dark hole. Yes. And you and you and you can't get out. Yeah. And you can't get out of bed and you can't go That's to like work. That's like a mental exhaustion. That's different. Yeah. That's a different depression. Yeah. It's different. So, you know, and a lot of times you come out of it when you're depressed for for whatever's going on in your life. You come out of it. Mm -hmm. But when you don't get treatment for it, Mm -hmm. you can die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you don't get treatment for real deep down dark depression, Mm -hmm. you could just Mm -hmm. lay there and just wither away. Well, you know, I've heard stories about James Baldwin because, I, you know, I, I, I know someone who knew him and a couple people who knew him and they're older than me obviously but he was she was saying to me that because I said to her I said well how did he die and she was like I really believe that he died from loneliness extreme loneliness um but I wanted to do this conversation because again I think that sometimes you know how you see people in the grocery store and you'll see these grandmothers and they cussing at these little kids and they frustrated you know, it's not always just because of ignorance. Sometimes they are just so overwhelmed and they don't know how to go about it a different way. Right. You know what I mean? And so exactly. if you have people in your family or friends that you know that are raising kids, try to give them a little break. You know what I'm saying? Try right. to give them a little reprieve. Exactly. Like you just never yeah, know. That's what I was going to study. Sometimes offer the babysitter. Offer the babysitter. Off, hey, is there anything I can do for you? I know you, you, know, you had to step in and take care of such and such as yeah. kids, mm-hmm. you know, but... You know, hey, I just got your little gift certificate so you can get your little manicure. I'll keep the kids for... Right. You right. know what I'm saying? Just something thoughtful. Just just try to, try to put yourself in that position. But it's hard. You know what I'm saying? Just having time alone in the house yeah. makes a difference sometimes. Yeah. So... But anyway, thank you for listening to this podcast. This has been so much to say. We're available for free. I'm trying to do the closing and she inviting somebody else to add in. Well, Joe, did you, did you want to... I just think, um, oh. I mean, he's playing a pivotal role in their lives. Joe, did you, did you want to say something, Joe? Joe, you want to say something? Joe said, Joe said he didn't want to he's, say anything. He's shy, but once he get going, if he get if he was to get going, he would really have something thought-provoking sure to say. Would. But he's just real shy and quiet. Joe, last chance. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're available for free on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in YouTube, wherever you can listen to a podcast. Please hit the share and subscribe button. It is free. Be safe. Keep loving yourself.